Hello, and welcome to Skilled America, a podcast devoted to the policies, politics, and people driving the discussion on skills in today's economy. I'm your host, Rachel Unruh, Chief of External Affairs at National Skills Coalition. This is Episode 3, Figuring Out Who Cares. Recent news has been dominated by the stories of our country's frontline healthcare workers who are battling a rapidly spreading virus in less than ideal conditions. But prior to COVID-19, the industry was already working to fill shortages in healthcare occupations at all levels of care. We talked to two people entrenched in the effort to train, upskill, and deploy a critical healthcare workforce across the country and the challenges and solutions accelerated by a global pandemic. This is Vantone Quinlevin. I'm CEO of Futuro Health. We're a newly established nonprofit uh, through the $130 million commitment by Kaiser Permanente and SEIU United Healthcare Worker. Uh, our mission is to improve the health and wealth of communities by growing the number of credentialed allied health workers in the nation, starting in California. So uh, imagine if you get sick uh, in a serious way or in a car accident, the ambulance driver that comes to get you to the person who is checking you in, taking your vitals, uh, doing your x-rays, looking at all, all the other stats. Everyone in that whole healthcare experience, minus the doctors and the administrators, are allied health workers. And they're trained mostly through what we call a sub-baccalaureate credential. These occupations require more than a high school degree, but usually less than a a bachelor's degree. So it could be uh, an industry-valued credential, a certificate of completion, or an associate's degree. So obviously, it's it's healthcare workers who are on the front lines right now, diagnosing, treating, containing this pandemic. Do you feel like they have everything they need in terms of protective equipment, training, the things that they need to stay safe? Right, right. Thanks for the question, Rachel. It's an important question. And so in many cases, no. That's Daniel Bustillo. He's the executive director of the Healthcare Career Advancement Program, or HCAP. And HCAP is a national labor management organization of SCI union locals and employers who are partnering to support innovative and quality healthcare career education models through policy and program work. And these partnerships at the local level, they a little bit of history, they originated 50 years ago in New York City as a direct outgrowth of the civil rights movement and have since spread to 16 states in D.C. HCAP is particularly focused on providing career advancement and enrichment opportunities that support frontline worker aspiration, employer need, and quality of care and occupations such as home care, certified nurse aid, dietary and service positions, technicians, and nursing, along with many others. I'm assuming that most of us are attuned to the news, and I think we have more than enough evidence from the public stories coming out of heavily impacted areas, like New York, as an example. Uh, The workers we support are truly heroic, uh, while even under the best of circumstances, you know, there's a, as a former healthcare worker myself, there's a real moral quality to the provision of care and healthcare work. I think this is even more evident given the current crisis, right? Uh, Workers are really operating under difficult circumstances, uh, oftentimes isolating themselves from family and loved ones or juggling childcare responsibilities or braving the use of public transportation to get to work and more in order to respond to the crisis and save as many lives as possible. I I think given the stories on the lack of adequate personal protective equipment, concerns about ventilators, et cetera, we're really potentially placing workers in the position of having to make impossible choices on who receives care and who doesn't. 
Um, and we should all be worried about the long-term impacts of all this and the great physical and mental strain that workers are under right now and how this will impact their own physical and mental health post-crisis. This is occurring across all sectors of healthcare, and we oftentimes don't hear as much about those other sectors. So workers in skilled nursing facilities and home care workers are making heroic efforts to care for their consumers and residents, doing things that many of us could not do. You mentioned childcare and transportation as challenges to healthcare workers right now in the midst of a response to the crisis. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a variety, as you can imagine, a variety of challenges being faced right now. An important part of that uh, response, the supportive services that are needed in this moment, which right now are more difficult than ever, right? So we think about childcare as an example. Uh, we're in a completely different with social distancing measures and uh, shelter in place or stay at home orders in many locations. Um, really difficult to think about that now. Right. Um, but, you know, adequate child care so that healthcare workers can go to work with peace of mind uh, mm-hmm. in the moment when they're most needed. Transportation support, um, housing support. Right. Thinking about direct cash payments. These are all important things to consider when we're talking about an adequate response and support of healthcare workers in yeah, this moment. Absolutely. I think you're very aware of the issues for the frontline healthcare workers. Clearly, protective equipment is needed. Here's Vaughn again. You're also seeing the impact of closure, school closures on this frontline workforce because they are a majority, overwhelmingly, women. And so when schools are closed, uh, the, the issue of childcare uh, really is, is causing hardship and um, is an issue to, to work around. Uh, the other issue that we are also seeing is the uh, need to upskill. The governor of California, for example, has um, now uh, loosened the restrictions on scope of practice. And so with that lifting of the scope of practice, they're expecting, for example, LVNs, licensed vocational nurses, to do more to help now that there's a shortage of respiratory therapists. And so what we need to do is actually upskill a number of these occupations to be able to kick in while there's a a tremendous uh, surge in acute care patients. They need protective equipment, they need childcare, and they need upskilling. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the healthcare industry is expected to add more jobs over the next decade than any other occupational group. But there were already shortages in some key healthcare occupations before the COVID-19 crisis took hold. We asked how the response to the virus has impacted the demand for healthcare workers, and how Futuro Health has shifted to address that demand. So before the pandemic came about, even in California, we recognized that the care of the growing and the care of the graying was going to uh, require more numbers in terms of the allied health workforce, as big as you know, a gap of 500,000 uh, new workers in allied health fields. With COVID's arrival, what we're looking at is are the surges in the pandemic that are likely to come. And there's an estimated need in California alone of 13,000 new workers, healthcare workers, that will be needed to staff the pop-up hospitals. For example, the San Jose uh, Convention Center is being converted you know, into a facility with, with a lot of beds. Uh, in addition, St. Vincent, which was closed down is being resurrected and needs to be staffed up completely from scratch. So we're having a lot of facilities uh, that are being created or expanded in addition to the demands on existing 
uh, healthcare facility. And that will all need to draw on talent or a talent pool that may not be um, available or quite ready. So how does it affect the work that we're doing? We've actually pivoted a, a number of our infrastructure to see whether we can take existing occupations and begin to upskill them for um, scope of work that was not originally within their domain. The demand for healthcare is obviously increasing exponentially as delivery system capacity gets expanded to respond to the crisis. Here's Daniel from HCAP again. Uh, but unfortunately, as workers get infected, and we're seeing more and more workers get infected and or experience fatigue and burnout, uh, there could be fewer and fewer present providers available to share the burden, right? So in the near term, you know, this obviously has huge impacts. We're currently working with partners across the country in a variety of things, including, you know, rapid responses to provide frontline healthcare workers with specific education related to the pandemic and to expand the healthcare workforce. Some of what we're working on includes uh, things such as COVID-19 readiness for frontline workers, such as COVID-19 testing techniques, uh, proper use of protective equipment, uh, recommendations, unfortunately, recommendations for substitutions if PPE is not available. Pandemic readiness for clinical staff is a second thing we're working on. So understanding COVID-19 disease progression, infection control precautions, how to prepare for a move from subacute to an acute setting, caring for patients on mechanical ventilators. We are also working on modules for environmental services, so EVS and other staff on proper disposal and room sterilization, which is oftentimes not something that those on the outside think about, but is really critically mm -hmm. important on an everyday basis, but particularly in this moment. Uh, in long-term care, we're working on COVID-19 education that's specific to home care and skilled nursing facilities at scale. We're rolling out this program called uh, Pandemic Readiness for LVNs in conjunction with Kaiser Permanente, uh, SEIU UHW, with the curriculum contributed by Pima Medical Institute, uh, and then also uh, having the help of the, the uh, SEIU uh, Education Fund. This curriculum is taking um, someone who's already an existing licensed vocational nurse or licensed practical nurse, and then skilling them up for a set of skill sets so that they can move from non-acute care into acute care. So they may be working in a facility right now that is, uh, for example, a clinic, and then moving into where you're, you're having a, a lot of multitasking, a lot of much sicker patients. And that's part of what we're doing to transition workforce from here to, to, to where it's needed in the short term. So it sounds like kind of a redeployment through upskilling. Yes, because the window is so narrow. Uh, and so that's the challenge. So we need 13,000 new workers. The state has created a, a posting for these jobs, and it's called the California Health Corps. And you see a very long laundry list of occupations, everything mm -hmm. from nurse practitioner, physician's assistants, to uh, certified nursing assistants, to RNs, respiratory therapists, paramedics, medical assistants, emergency medical technicians. The challenge for us writ large is that many of these occupations take years and years and years to train. We're also working on pipeline issues for areas of immediate demand. What about workers from other sectors like hospitality and retail that are now unemployed? Um, we're exploring mass distance learning for occupations like CNA for home health aides that might be impacted 
by things such as hourly reductions, because unfortunately we do have some HHAs uh, across the country that are being impacted by hourly reductions in work due to COVID-19, but have a lot of healthcare experience, obviously, or workers from other sectors who are now employed to provide you know, much needed relief to workers in skilled nursing facilities, uh, which we desperately need. So where possible, we're also working with partners on developing distance learning options to support workers who were near completion and degree programs and other longer term programs to sort of accelerate completion. But HCAP has also focused on caring for the caregivers themselves. We're also actively working with partners on developing online tools and educational modules on managing stress. Really critical in this moment and will really be needed. We have not sort of reached the, the peak of this pandemic. And um, we, are, we are obviously uh, very concerned about that. I do want to just reiterate and point out that All of the aforementioned from a training and workforce perspective really requires an increased investment in a range of supportive services available to workers. So ultimately, Rachel, the COVID-19 pandemic is shining a bright light on the underinvestment and historic devaluation of caregiving work, which really needs to shift. So I want to shift the conversation to some of the changes in healthcare learning. What innovations do you see this crisis accelerating in terms of how people are upskilling through technology? Certainly the the pandemic is making more obvious the need to be able to ingest training in small bites, for example, Mm -hmm. at the beginning of your shift or at the end of your shift. Uh, And clearly mobile-friendly delivery methods are even better because that's what the healthcare professionals are going to have access to most easily. I think it's also interesting to look at the case study of what we've had to do in order to turn around pandemic readiness for LVNs, LPNs, basically in a two-week period. So between the board asking us to take a look at this need and being able to launch curriculum, what we're also seeing is a level of collaboration that's going to become more uh, common in the future. You know, traditional curriculum development uh, has a bit more of a plodding pace, In order to turn around curriculum for the pandemic, what we had to do was combine a number of resources from different parties. So Pima Medical Institute agreed to contribute the curriculum, and they began on day two developing that curriculum. Uh, Once the curriculum is developed, then we're putting it through a set of reviews before it gets launched. We contribute the learning management system in order to set up and be able to handle up to 15,000 workers being able to get that curriculum. And others are contributing, getting the word out in order to reach, you know, for example, in California alone, we have 21,000 licensed vocational nurses. So how do we get the word out to them and their employers um, so that they can upskill fairly rapidly? And so the pandemic is actually testing the ability of all of us to contribute what our strengths are in order to not only develop the training, but get them into the hands of the workers who need that training. And so you can imagine all of this is being done in order to hit a two-week window. We're seeing a rush to develop distance learning where possible as, mm-hmm. an, as an immediate response. I mean, one of the things that we do have an eye on is the question of uh, what are the long-term implications of uh, a massive shift to online education from both a quality and equity perspective, right? So we know this is something that is very particular to the workers that we support. We know that many people struggle with online education due to uh, either a lack of basic technology, like access to broadband and hardware, 
Um, and the evidence that we have, you know, available to us indicates mixed effects on outcomes from that transition to distance learning from distance learning programs. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to be just a little cautious when thinking of uh, when thinking that this crisis requires a whole scale transformation toward online learning, just because it could potentially ex exacerbate some of the inequities that already exist. So that's a great pivot to my next question. You know, technology is often seen as creating a lot of opportunities and solving a lot of problems in a moment like this. But I think we know that anytime there's an increased use of technology, and especially in terms of both online learning and healthcare delivery by way of things like telehealth, it really has the potential to create equity gaps. So how can we approach healthcare innovations like these without widening equity gaps? Irrespective of the current situation, we already have occupational segregation issues in healthcare with uh, overrepresentation of Black and Latinx workers in entry-level lower-paying occupations and an underrepresentation of those same workers in higher-wage occupations. And also, Rachel, as you know, many of the workers we support across the country are immigrants and or workers with limited access to technology and digital literacy. This is pre-COVID-19 pandemic. Right. Right. So, you know, when designing some of these policy and program solutions, I think we, we need to take care to, to, to take a targeted universalistic approach so as not to, as you said, exacerbate those inequities and inequalities. As Vaughn tells us, Futuro was taking steps to address equity gaps before the pandemic hit. We're in the process of rolling out the medical assistant program. And what we realize is that we would want it the workforce to reflect the populations that they need to serve. So we have a population in this state of 28% uh, being Spanish speakers first. So as part of the rollout, we've uh, identified a partner named Voxy who can contextualize English uh, for healthcare, for allied health in, in specifically. And so the outreach is going to go into um, the Spanish-speaking population, and then enrolling them into the Voxy uh, English Readiness Program so that they have the vocabulary to begin the full medical assistant uh, training program. So, the, you know, so thinking through the outreach component, but also what does it take to uh, ready uh, uh, communities to be able to access that content um, is very important. Traditional distance learning usually requires access to a desktop or a laptop. Um, many people either do not have access to desktops, laptops, tablets, or do not have any experience in using those same, that same hardware. You know, most people have access to a mobile phone. But even, if, even with developed mobile solutions, there are data limits associated with many cell phone plans that workers have, et cetera. So this gets complicated really quickly. Ultimately, we need to be thoughtful in the design of our solutions for digital healthcare learning and delivery to, yes, help meet the current crisis in a rapid fashion, but not to exacerbate some of the inequities uh, that we know exist now and exacerbate those in the long term. So it seems like one of the things that's so striking about what we're dealing with right now is really the scale. So the scale at which we're losing jobs, the scale at which we need to produce equipment, the scale at which we need to reskill and upskill and cross-train our healthcare workforce. So with such a massive challenge before us, is there a rapid response scalable model for retraining millions of people so quickly in the fight against this pandemic? So Futuro Health has 
a, a goal of producing 10,000 new credentialed allied health workers over the next uh, four years. And so we were, were tasked to look at solutions that could be uh, done at scale, starting in California, but to be able to go and replicate into multiple mm-hmm. states. What we found was that we could source uh, education providers willing to work with us. And so as we set up new programs, what we did was to source 750 medical assistance seats through three different education providers. And where the education provider is lacking the, the, the nest, a robust student support mechanism, we paired them with inside track uh, student coaching. That's really been able to help us uh, see the path towards scaling. I think there's several other things that, that we can do. Community clinics, they do not have enough infrastructure to be able to, to address the workforce needs on their own. So how do you regionally aggregate them and then better uh, play matchmaker between uh, clinical slots and what the uh, community clinics need? The area that is most difficult to scale in healthcare is the area of, of clinicals. Now, one of the, the most frustrating um, situations that is happening right now with the pandemic is that uh, because of liability, hospitals have had to close down all of their uh, student clinical um, hours. And it's rare to have such a complete stoppage of a workforce production like that. And so we'll have to recover from those, but also be more intentional and more systematic in setting up perhaps a regional networks where the supply of clinicals and the demand of clinicals uh, can better match. We're also looking at models of pop-up clinics. In Ventura, there is a, a church. It donates its recreation room. So every Wednesday, they would serve the poor. And the doctor and the nurse are volunteers. But everybody else who plays a role in that clinic is a student. So the medical assistant, you know, to the pharmacy tech, they're all students. And these pop-up clinics can not only provide care for the community, but can give students clinical hours. So if you think about, like, uh, being able to stage pop-up clinics to coincide with the moments when students need their clinicals. And if we did that systematically and by region, you could actually serve all the education providers and increase their capacity. Who knows better than frontline healthcare workers what's actually occurring on the front lines and what's needed for a robust response, whether it's training or otherwise. Um, Yet their voices are oftentimes and and consistently excluded and devalued. From where I sit, you know, our labor management partnerships, um, other folks would talk about them as industry partnerships or otherwise, really operate at the intersection of a supply and demand side strategy that, you know, involves unions and employers who are working together to co-create solutions with the support of regional workforce intermediaries to scale these training solutions. But that's on a regional level, right? That type of industry partnership is a proven model. It looks different in different places with long history of supporting training solutions that lead to good jobs that should be expanded and replicated. So in addition to some of the components that I just ran through, we do need massive investment uh, and continued redesign in just capacity for public workforce and college systems, because they're also really important components of this equation. Congress has passed a number of stimulus measures, and, and there's still plans to work towards more. What support do you need from lawmakers to keep your workforce safe and to address the increased demand for healthcare workers? 
I think the most critical thing right now to keep healthcare workers safe, obviously the personal protective equipment, masks, gowns, gloves, N95s, and access to training on the proper use of equipment is paramount if needed. So I think that is clearly number one. Uh, second, we've talked about supports. I think supports for workers in this moment, things such as paid sick leave, childcare for healthcare workers, transportation, housing assistance, uh, direct cash payments, mental and behavioral health are obviously important in this moment as well. So I think training trust funds that support partnerships uh, like ours and those of our partners around the country that have a proven track record of providing quality training and placing participants into good jobs with clear equity imperatives need to be supported. National Skills Coalition has been spot on in terms of um, promoting policies that work for communities and for especially for the displaced and underemployed um, uh, workforce. I would also inc- encourage uh, looking at this issue of uh, clinicals, especially for the vertical of the healthcare workforce. Um, and then all the natural uh, uh, shifts towards uh, badging and sub-credential and financial aid mm-hmm. associated with shorter uh, certifications and, and transitions in the workforce will become extremely valuable as we deal with the aftermath of COVID-19. Yeah, so changes to the higher ed system to support that short-term credentialing? Absolutely. I know it's been a real challenging time for all the workers who you're working on behalf of, so thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Yes, and thank you, Rachel, for putting a spotlight on this issue. It's really important to do so. So appreciate it. Daniel Bustillo is the executive director of the Healthcare Career Advancement Program, or HCAP, a national labor management organization that promotes innovation and quality in healthcare career education. Vontan Quinlivan is the CEO of Futuro Health, a nonprofit established by Kaiser Permanente and SEIU United Healthcare Workers West to grow the largest network of credentialed allied healthcare workers starting in California and scaling up across the nation. Both Vaughn and Daniel also serve on the board of directors of National Skills Coalition. That's our show. Thanks so much for listening. On our next episode... They're teaching me how to deal with the narrative, you know, that, hey, okay, you have the criminal background, but we're going to try to kick these doors down so these corporations will know that, hey, look, we got a guy who has experience in life, who has experience working, and, you know, he's ready. We hope you'll join us. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Unruh. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time for another in-depth look at Skilled America. 